Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm a feminist, and I think part of that is being as resilient as your body will allow at any time and kind of building strength. And that obviously is relative to each individual. But, I, you know, I want to be the kind of person who could be like, no, I'm a feminist, and if suddenly a revolution needed to take place, I would go the distance as much as my body would allow. But last night, uh, it was my first night in Chicago, and it was so cold <laughs> that in my 10-minute walk back to the hotel from a yoga class... I stopped at a theatre where a crowd of people were going in to see Mean Girls and bought a ticket just to get inside in the warm. (laughs) The five-minute mark, I caved. It was so cold, I couldn't feel my face. I was like, what is this temperature? Because it was like an ice wall. It's not snowing here, but it was an ice wall in my face. And I couldn't, I'm so, like, they call it the Windy City. I thought that was something to do with gangsters. I didn't think it was real. <laughs> no, it's was, wind. It's actual wind. It's wind. I always thought, I was like, oh, no, that's something to do with wind. It's to do with a legend or something. No, no. no. It's wind in your face. It's like an ice sheet in your face. Yeah. I went to see a full-length musical <laughs> to get in out of the cold for two hours. And, the, by the, the desperation. way... desperation. Yeah, yeah. I was a little concerned because I went and it was Mean Girls and I was all alone. And the thing is, when you're touring alone... <laughs> So either I'm talking to 500 people or nobody. (laughs) Those are my two states. So when I went into Mean Girls alone, I suddenly was like, had the program and I was like, oh my God, this is a literal you can't sit with us. (laughs) But I sat down next to a kindly man. And then when the musical started, the curtain came up, he moved up a seat. He literally moved away from me. (laughs) In his pink... I was like, this is upsetting. That would upset me. I got into the music. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. It was a very good musical. It was very fetch. (laughs) And I don't even go here. So I recommend it. Okay. I'm a feminist, but I routinely cancel plans with my queer chosen family so that I can catch up on The Bachelor. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I need to know. Peter sees it. Anyone watching? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it is truly, it's truly shocking. Is it compelling? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The, the bachelorette who rejected the now bachelor came back and she's like, <gasps> she's like trying to get him right now and <laughs> she is not going to get him, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm a feminist, but I met a man in Chicago today who told me he worked in risk analysis and I said, I already know I can't understand what you do and you haven't even explained it yet. <laughs> in truth I did not want to understand yes my head is full of feminism and the, the strategy for the world problems and comedy and it's, risk analysis is never going to be my job so why care yeah that's fair you don't have to know I that's, don't and know. that's feminist I don't think you have to feel guilty about that one that's good I don't care financial risk Ugh. I'm a feminist, but I definitely will pretend to be straight if it'll get me free drinks. 
I love men. <laughs> Do you let men buy you drinks? And All the time. Do you? I look like such a dyke, though, but sometimes, like, sometimes I don't. You know, and then some people are like, yeah, Is can I get you a shoulder? drink? Now, if you're listening at home, Sophia just did a shoulder. <laughs> I did do a, you think straight women do a I little... did a straight shoulder. <laughs> Ironically, the shoulder, if yeah. you're listening at home, the shoulder is not straight. It's a sort of, it's the shoulders you shouldn't do at yoga, like right yeah. up near the ears, it's and it like, comes a little pat. I'm so thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. I think the queer community should take whatever they can from Thank the, you. Yeah. From the cis het norm core exactly. dominant group. It's like buy me drinks, fix shit in my house, you know. Absolutely. And then I'm gonna kick you out. <laughs> no sex. Sorry. I'm afraid I believe you're owed. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but today, uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry announced unbeknownst to Buckingham Palace, allegedly, uh, that they are moving to Canada and stepping down as senior royals um, because of the difficult time that Meghan Markle has had uh, in Britain. And the press has really been quite racist to her and it's been a terrible time for them. But my unfamiliar spot on this is that AJ Plus reported Meghan Markle and her husband say they're stepping back as senior members of the royal family and will work to become financially independent. They'll split their time 50-50 between the UK and North America. And I quote tweeted, her nameless husband, it's finally 2020! (laughs) And I'm now delighted that Meghan Markle has decided to leave the UK for Canada because it got me over 2,000 likes. I'm a feminist, but I'm addicted to the approval of two men. My therapist and my eyebrow stylist. Yes. (laughs) I just need it. I don't know. I mean, people all the time are like, you have a male therapist? And I'm like, I know. But you know what it is? It's like I scream about how I hate men to a man, and he has to go, yeah. (laughs) And it's so healing for me. It's like truly so healing. You pay... You pay a man specifically. You're like, I don't want a female. Therapist. I mean, I, I wish he man, was paying me for I this. Want obviously, a man to have to hear <laughs> what other men are like, and at no point can he say not all men. Exactly, because you're paying him. Yeah, he just goes. That makes total sense. <laughs> Does he do Skype sessions? Oh my god! Do you want me to get you in touch? I'd be interested in being hooked up. He's great. Okay. He's really good. Um, Live from Talia Hall at Chicago. With me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Sophia Cleary, and very special guest Cameron Hawkins, talking about rebellion. This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Sophia Cleary, and we're talking about rebellion. So, um, have you had a feminist week or a guilty week? Oh, my God. Well, I think it's more guilty. Really? Yeah. What happened? I think so. I mean, I'm in a, the throes of a breakup right now. And um, you guessed it. My ex lives across the hall from me in my apartment. I did not guess that. Nobody guessed that. Um, we did not know you were in the sitcom Friends. I'm trying to be very, like, there's boundaries. You know, it's your apartment, my apartment. But then I hear, like, and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, I hear, I hear the door. I'm like a psycho-fascist surveillance lesbian, like, you know. This is not what I was expecting at all. I, I, yeah. Why do you live across from her? Did you meet each other in the building? No. It was the kind of thing where it was like, okay, so the feminist part of me was like, it's like, we want to move in together, right? And it's like, but I need my autonomy. And I'm like, I don't want to give up my studio apartment. No. But then the studio across from me opened up, and it was like, <laughs> Like yeah, you okay, know, and then literally two months later, two months later, because you can't evict her from some random studio across the way. I simply can't. So you now either have to leave or live effectively with your ex. Literally, yeah. 
No, like literally. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's oh. such a great sitcom, though. I know. I'm writing a script. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, yeah. It's like, I'm going to turn the pain into money, you know, yes, hopefully. absolutely. As That's my friend Kima Bob, who also does this show a lot, says, uh, don't get mad, get material. <laughs> um, oh, that is so helpful to hear so, right now. The Lesbian Across the Hall, when can we expect that on HBO? <laughs> Talk to my agent. Um, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, I would love for that to happen in like a year. What we need to brainstorm a title for it. Sister, it's something. Ugh. Okay. It's too close right now. But yeah. (gasps) Too close right now. (laughs) Yes. Oh my god. We are a genius. I just get chills. (laughs) That could be a backup title. (laughs) Too close right now. She just got chills like a log line. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's my life, okay? So you said, don't move in with me, but move in opposite me. Because I think that's so romantic and sexy as well. Well, literally, it was like, we'll be then... like Frida and Diego. You know, it's like everyone will covet our amazing, like, two-apartment. Yeah. You know, as long as we're doing well. You know yeah. what I mean? No, no, I, I already covet it. It's gorgeous. I, yeah, it's so lovely, because you can just pop in now, but you've it's got your gorgeous. own space. Also, you can, like, sex each other and be like, there's this door between you, this hallway between you. It's literally the best. People, but then you're like, that's a lesbian laughing. Like, yeah, you're going to be just always sexting across a sexy hall. Yeah, that's how it's going to be. Well, I took a lot of pride in it, because I was like, I'm the opposite of a U-Haul lesbian. You know, like, because there's that, that yeah. stereotype, of course. And I was like, just, no, Can you no. just unpack the U-Haul lesbian for those the global listeners who have not heard this? It's like um, lesbians who literally meet week one, and then week two get a U-Haul together and move in. You know, and, and, and they might even live across the country from each other, right? You know, hence a U-Haul, U-Haul, if you're living internationally, it's basically a thing that you might bring all your possessions in. So yes. day two, you bring all your possessions. A moving move truck. A moving truck. A moving truck. So yeah. a moving van. Yes. So you are not a U-Haul lesbian. Absolutely not. You're a me-haul lesbian. Yes. Me-haul. Yes. My haul lesbian. Yeah. This is my haul. So it's stay, my haul. stay stay on your side of the hall. Yes. Because this I was here first, so this is Thank my apartment, you. my hall. Thank you. How does she get out of her apartment? So to get out of the building, though, that's you need to share that whole. No, the thing the is, is like, so we broke up, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do 30 days no contact because that's like healthy or whatever. Uh, but it's like, okay, 30, what? But that's <laughs> not a thing. No one ever said 30 days no it's contact. It's like 30 days no because I can't look at the Instagram. You know what I mean? It's like the stories and like, uh, oh god. So it's like, okay, block. She's not. For is she days. doing stories about you? I don't know. I don't look. Oh, should you want me to look now? I don't look. I'll look now. You're gonna no, don't. Okay, okay. don't. Okay, no. Hey, okay. I don't know her Instagram. I don't know this woman. Okay, so, I do have to say though, I don't want to be like they're I'm actually sh- they're they them. They're not her. I don't. Thank I don't want to like misgender in the breakup. You know, that's violent. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. I just have to be clear. Okay. Are yeah. we okay to put any of this out? Because <laughs> might they listen to this? Oh, I pray not. I don't think so. Okay, I don't fine. Think so. Yeah. All right. They're not a fan of the show. Fine, let's go. Yeah. For it. So, uh, <laughs> Um, no, look, breakups are hard for everybody. We wish you and them very well. Thank you. And we hope you both heal in time and find living arrangements that are, let us be clear, less awkward. Thank you. Thank you so much. We wish you both well in your feminist journeys, together or apart, clearly apart, by the look in your eye. Yeah. Amen. I will... I feel like I'm doing some kind of long-distance lesbian divorce. I'm being baptized. Yes, Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, should you need a U-Haul at any point, we will club together this audience and buy you one. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. The support means everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We should do an episode about how to do a feminist breakup. Yeah. Because there's a little part of me that wants to do a reductious article called, is he a narcissist or are you just breaking up with him? (laughs) Um, now, this is not to say, because I have a very, very close friend who recently broke up with a narcissist, and it was very, very serious. But a lot of times now, I think, every single time someone breaks up with someone, they're like, I've looked on Facebook, I've done this checklist, they're a sociopath. And I'm like, is it possible, though, that when you break up with somebody, their behaviours become more self-interested and for a little while more closed off and less empathetic, and those are also qualities that you might see on a Facebook checklist of five things yes. to watch for an sociopath. Oh, totally. Because they're pulling up the shutters. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to know how to do a feminist breakup. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to break up with you, Tom Selitsky, the producer of this podcast, who's now <laughs> listening to this edit in London, going, huh? Because these tapes are getting sent back 
to London. He's editing them and, and listening to the footage. So I don't want him to go, why? <laughs> You've never mentioned this topic before. I have not met someone in Chicago. I've met a lot of French fries. Some of them, obviously, I would consider leaving you for. But no, that's not what's happening here. How rebellious would you say you are, Sophia? Oh, my God, barely. I have to challenge myself to be rebellious. I'm like a classic people pleaser, actually. I was at yoga the other day, and there was an exercise where everyone had to turn to the back of the room. Mm -hmm. And one woman, instead of turning to the back of the room, she misunderstood what the teacher meant, and so she just turned from her left side to the right. So there's now... 80 people turning one way. That's my nightmare. <laughs> and one woman looking the other way. And the teacher just went, oh, it's fine. You're still doing the other side. Just stay. And so she was now doing the exercise and looking at the whole class. She lasted like five seconds. She went, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm turning around. And that's because the pull, the gravitation to conformity is strong in us. Mm-hmm. And we want to be sitting the right way and doing what everyone else is doing. Um, because I think in part we're tribal animals and partly because of the societies in which we've been raised, putting a premium on that beyond what is just about cooperation and communication, which society needs to function. Yeah. No, I'm such a people pleaser, like, oh, God, I'm, I'm scared someone's going to notice. Not even to crowds, though. Like, I, I, one time I had a friend's credit card, and I was buying a coffee, and I was like, but I can't use his card. They're going to know that it's not me. You know, and it, he was like, no one cares. No one knows. No, no one cares They really all. don't. Yeah, it's really fine. See, I'm not like that. Oh, God, thank God. My husband, Tom Sadinsky, is like that. To the extent... He may edit this story out. <laughs> this is, he has that kind of power. To the extent where one time we got on the train going to meet my godson who was somewhere else. When we got on the train, they said, unless you've got this ticket for this railway, you have to get off. We were going one stop. So I said, I don't care if they kick us off. We need to get off at the next stop. I don't want to leave this little boy waiting any longer. And Tom went, no, we've got the wrong ticket. And I was like, we have to get off. And I was like, well, I am not getting off. I have been messed with too much today. And there's a child waiting for us. You can get off. And he did. Yes. And when I got there, I picked up my godson. We went and had lunch. And then Tom was like a half hour behind us. And we took the piss the whole lunchtime going, oh, well, you know, he was like, oh, you know, ordering off the menu. We were like, really? That's a little cray cray. Ordering what? No, it says you have to have the dressing on the salad. <laughs> you don't want to be like. Anyway, I relate to him. Tom wouldn't do that now. I don't think he has changed. This was some years ago. He's got more rebellious, mm-hmm. and I have also got more rebellious. <laughs> I think <laughs> I don't, we have not met in the middle. Mm-hmm. I would now, I think, ride the top of the train. Yeah, you're leading the way. Yeah. You're leading the way for him. That's good. A little bit. No, well, good I mean, I also think just as you get older, you realize that thing of no one cares. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, like, also just being like, actually, I'm going to say no to that. You know what I mean? And, like, that feels like a rebellion in its mm. own way. People being like, no, no, come on, but come on, come out for the thing. And you're like, no. <laughs> like, yes. that feels like a mini rebellion for me. It really what, does. If someone says come out. You know, they're like, dinner. but what about drinks? You know, and I'm like, I, not tonight. You know, I need to sleep or something. And even though that's boring, that's my mini rebellion. I, mean, I understand that. I don't understand that. We will talk about more important rebellions than this. <laughs> if you, any of you are thinking, this is some tame rebellion gang. She's not going for drinks. She stayed on the train with the wrong ticket. Woo. This is some serious white lady rebellion. <laughs> if anyone's thinking that, there is more to come. Hello, Guilty Feminists. Just to let you know, we are doing a live performance where an audience can come because it's in the open air. It's at a festival called The New Normal. Nothing to do with our Instagram show of the same name, but we will be there doing a show. Tickets are going fast, as you can expect. It's at Le Gothique with a Q-U-E, London, Saturday the 8th of August at 2pm. Doors open at noon. Get tickets now. Details are on our website. Also, our residency is at King's Place. That's where we recorded for the vast majority of our shows throughout the year before lockdown. And King's Place, like many live venues, is really, really struggling at the moment because they can't have shows there and they need our 
help. So if you go to our website, you will see a link for Save King's Place. If you have been to shows there, if you've enjoyed shows there, if you've enjoyed the recordings we've done there and you've got anything at all to spare, go to the King's Place London website or our website and check it out and see how you can help. We hope to see as many of you as possible at Le Gothique, London on the 8th of August. We're so excited to be back with an audience again. We can't wait. It'll all be very safe and socially distanced. So if you feel ready to come back out and be in a live audience, we would just absolutely be hysterical to have you there. And now back to the podcast. All right, before we bring our guest out, we have to do some... uh, uh, Sophia's going to do some stand-up comedy. Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? Oh, my God. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Sophia Cleary. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be back in Chicago. Thank you so much for being here. I've been here. I've been to Chicago, I want to say like three or four times, always in the winter. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Um, But the last time I was in Chicago, um, I think it was like four years ago, and... When I was here, I, I was straight. <laughs> but now I'm here and I'm gay, right? So um, that's really cool for me. You know, some gay people in the audience can probably understand this and maybe some straight people too who haven't like yet transcended heterosexuality. Um, but there's like this feeling you get when you're like, <laughs> I'm 100% straight. Like, like when you're in the closet, you're just like, I'm straight, you know? And, um, that was very much my vibe, like, for a really long time, and believe it or not. And um, it's just so hard, like, you'll have, like, a feeling that's like, you're gay, you know, and you're like, no, you know, you're like, no, no, get away, you know, it's like a, it's like a bad horror movie or something. It's, like, truly very scary. But I'm locating through therapy and 12-step and et cetera that I think the reason why I came out so late is because of this people-pleasing thing that I mentioned earlier. Like, yes, I'm, I'm very good. Like, I'm straight, you know, and... Uh, Like, when you're a people pleaser in the patriarchy, it's just like, whatever you say, Jason, you know, for 30 years, right? (laughs) Like, literally for 30 years. And so I came out late. You know, I came out when I was 30. You guessed it, I'm 31. (laughs) So it's been, like, it's been a crazy year and a half. You know, a lot, like, so my sexuality is shifting, and then also some, like, gender stuff, too. Like, I, I was like, wait, like, fuck, like, I'm gay, like... Am I also non-binary? Like, oh, maybe I want to use they, them pronouns. And then I was like, no, no, I'm a woman. And I was like, I'm a woman. And I know I'm a woman, right? And there's this, like, one quality. And it's like, I know I'm a woman because I would murder by poisoning. You know? It's like... It's like, that's simply the only criteria. It's like, absolutely the criteria. (laughs) so um yeah the people pleasing the people pleasing is a disease man like i would like guys would just be like yeah do you want to go on a date and i would be like yeah if that's what you want you know and it's just like it's just over and over i just like end up caught up in all these relationships with these men anyway i came out to my mom and my dad i said you know mom dad i'm gay and my mom said me too you know And I was like, wow, the repression in our family is ancestral. You know, like, it's, it's just deeply ancestral. Like, no wonder I didn't come out till I did. And I look over at my dad. I, I'm just like, yeah, anyway, I've just never prioritized my own desire, you know. And I, I look over at him, and he's like... <laughs> and he's just breaking down, right? And, and like, I see, like, he's like... <laughs> like, I see, like, coming out of his mouth. Like, it's like dust, you know. Like, he's, like, turned into, like, a husk of a man at this point. It's just, like, this dust coming out. And in the dust is just incursive. I'm gay, too, but can't say it, you know. Like, I truly do... I do wonder about my parents. Like, I think they both might be homo. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, it's biological. I don't know. No, it's not. But, um... <laughs> So yeah, I came out and um, I went to a friend's bachelorette party like pretty recently afterwards and I was feeling very like, I'm gay, you know, and uh, not like, I'm gay, not like screaming it all the time, but you know, I had, a, I had a new sweetie and I mentioned my partner. It's all straight people at this bachelorette party, by the way. So it was sort of my first encounter with that chilling reality, you know, 
being the only person who's gay in a room. And I mention my partner, blah, blah, blah. It comes out I'm gay. And I just see wash across all these women's faces. They're like, I think this weekend just turned out to be crazier than I thought. (laughs) You know? And I was like, oh, no. Like, what's going on here? Like, oh, God. And throughout the whole weekend, it was sort of like we're at this real-world road rules house, you know what I mean? Like, straight people in their weird, like, bachelorette party, like, customs. You know, it's like, why am I paying $600 to be here? Like, no one knows. And so I'm at this house, and I'm having some introvert time. I'm, like, yo-yoing around outside. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, like, I'm just doing my, like, dyke sports. And, um... (laughs) And there's this outdoor shower and this woman is in the outdoor shower and she comes out and she sees me and she's like, you know, she like covers up because I'm this like pervert lesbian or whatever. And then I was like, oh, but it was like this dynamic of like, she's like freaked out by me, but she's also into me and she's like wondering what's going to happen. And we had had this long conversation like the night before drunkenly where she was telling me, all about her shitty job at Amex, right? And so in this moment, I'm piecing together. I'm like, why is she covering herself? Like, I don't understand. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, she thinks I'm so into her, and she's into me because I just listened to her for a really long time, right? Oh, no. You know, the and I'm just like, going into 2020, it's like listening should be the common denominator, right? It's like, this is the thing. People fall in love. They're like, oh, my God, they were like, saw me in that moment. And for me, you know, I'm an (laughs) ex-doula. Do you guys know what doulas are? So a doula, a doula is like a random person (laughs) who, like, shows up at your birth and is like, go, you know? And... Because I have this doula training, I'm very good at listening, right? So I'm listening to her talk about Amex, and I'm like, that sounds really hard. Do you have friends, family, support right now? Do you need me to set up a meal train? Do you need help? You know? And she's just like, I think we should kiss. You know, like, I can't. Like, it's just really, it's too intense. This is the dynamic we create. I create. I'll take responsibility. Um... So yeah, uh, I live in Los Angeles, and there's like lots, all this hiking culture there. Do you know, you know about that? Like in LA, everybody's like, I'm going on a hike. And it's like, you're going down like a dirt path into a burning fire, you know? But, <laughs> but you know, the hiking in the winter is especially nice because there's some rain and, you know, it's very fertile and, you know, well, the flowers are blooming. And whenever I'm in nature, I really... <sighs> I just I get horny. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel that when you're in nature? You're like, oh. Like, I'll be on a hike, and I'm like, oh, my God. And recently, I was on this hike, and I was like, I'm ready to get pregnant. <laughs> and there was something about being in the nature where I was like, oh, my God, I'm ready to carry. You know, like, I'm, I'm ready to carry a seed and bring it to term and just bring a baby into this world and being an ex-doula it's like I've seen all these births I know how magical this experience is like you think acid's crazy try birth bitch like it's just absolutely insane it's so amazing watching people go through this process and I want to have that too but as I've explained my ex and I recently broke up and um, I'm just that much further away also not exposed to sperm so (laughs) what do I do about that Um, I look at sperm bank websites anyone else just for fun uh I love the way men write about themselves on sperm bank websites. It'll be like, my name's Alex. Uh, Yeah, I have a a poetry MFA from Columbia University. Um, My parents are psychiatrists. I don't know, I love sailing, I guess. (laughs) Um, If I could have lunch with anyone, yeah, it'd be Mike Birbiglia, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, Oh my God, storyteller for storyteller. Like, okay, fill me now. You know, fill me now, Alex or Kyle or whatever your name is. Um, <laughs> but I have this fantasy of getting pregnant. I really want it to happen. Ugh, I don't know, maybe next five years, but like my personality does feel kind of barren. So I feel like it's going to take a while. <laughs> and I just know, you know, it's like I'm going to have to have GoFundMes. You know, it costs a lot of money. Or, you know, I, I see maybe there's going to have to be some like IVF involved. And it's like, God, am I even going to have a partner at this point? I don't know. I'm taking applications. Anyway, it's like, you know, all of this 
all these trials and tribulations, and we're really going to go through it, me and my future partner. It's going to be like the GoFundMes, the IVF. Oh, and then maybe we'll find like some close gay male friends who will like be like, yeah, let's just like get the sperm together, and we'll just like get it in, and we'll just make it. But then they're going to get cold feet. You know what I mean? Like I can feel that they're going to get cold feet. We're going to have to go back to the IVF, and we're going to have to do another GoFundMe round. But eventually, you know what? It's going to latch, and I'm going to get pregnant. I feel it in my bones. I'm going to get pregnant, and it's going to be one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. It's going to be like, oh, my God, babe, like the test, babe, the test, like we did it. You know, we did it. We did it. Oh, my God, I'm so excited, babe. Like, I'm fucking pregnant. (laughs) But, like, in my core, I know that I am a Gemini, and I do think that I still might abort. (laughs) Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And that is my right. It simply is my right. And I feel like this is the texture of guilty feminists a little bit because it's like, why don't I get to just make mistakes like that? You know what I mean? Like, I want there to be, like, a glass ceiling moment for, like, a lesbian who, like, goes through all that. And then she's like, actually, let's swap it out. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Sophia Cleary. Thank you so much for having me. Sophia Cleary, everybody. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guest today is the founder and rebel-in-chief for the award-winning Rebellious Magazine. Rebellious Magazine delivers a unique feminist perspective on Chicago news, events, politics, and culture. It supports women-owned and women-operated businesses and organizations. Uh, She is also the co-editor-in-chief for the Chicago Reader. Uh, She uh, is an extraordinary woman. Uh, She's doing some incredible things. Put your hands together. Make incredible Chicago woohooing noises for Karen Hawkins. Could you tell me your I'm a feminist but? I'm ready. Okay. I'm a feminist but I'm a black woman named Karen. (laughs) It's rough for me right now, y'all. It's rough. And I understand that we have an international audience, so I knew we had to explain this to people who are not in the U.S. White women named Karen have ruined the name. How... How? How have they ruined it? So, can I... Give me a moment, please. So, I was trying to explain this to Deborah because I said it and she just went blank and I was like, oh. We do not know about this. I need to move. Then she... Karen Googled it for me. So... You need to move. (laughs) I'm coming with you to Canada. You need to move to Canada or to the UK. Australia. I have an aunt. Uh, Australia's fine. So, if you Google... You guys. If you Google Karen right now... The first search result, Karen is a mocking slang term for an entitled, obnoxious, middle-aged white woman. (laughs) At dictionary.com. Are you kidding me with this woman? And there's a little speech bubble that says, I'm going to call the manager. (laughs) And before Karen looked that up, she said, it's a white woman who always calls the manager. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I just, so I, I'm a feminist, but I want, I want these women to pay. Yeah. yeah. I understand it. really, I, you know, sisterhood and all that, but Karen, explain yeah. yourself. <laughs> They've so, ruined the Maybe name. we have some here tonight that can explain later. Is that, are, do we, are there any white Karens in? <laughs> just give us a cheer. No, I, they're all outside calling oh. the manager. They didn't get in a good enough seat. There's a woman on stage right now. She's 
Tuesday they're calling the police. This is not okay. I, you need to make these jokes. I don't think I can. <laughs> We're doing it together. We're riffing together. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're here for each other. We're here for each other. So what we did backstage is because we wanted to talk about rebels and give it a little bit of context. So I looked up the top ten rebels in history. What quality do you think they all shared? They're all from different countries, different time periods. What quality do you think they all shared? They were all men. Yes, good job. And that isn't true because the biggest rebels are always the people who are the most oppressed. So even though... Obviously, women have rebelled more rebelliously. They're not really listed in the lists of rebels because guess who writes those lists? Yeah, and even if women write them, we're trained to not see other women. Uh, So we found some really cool ones that had Chicago links because we're in Chicago. One of the fun ones we found was the baby vamp, uh, Mae West. In 1926, she wrote and produced and directed the Broadway show Sex. 1926, she wrote, produced, and directed a show called Sex. And uh, that didn't work out well because she got arrested for obscenity. Uh, In the following year, her next play was called Drag. And it was banned because it dealt openly with homosexuality. As a result, she made innuendo and self-parody into a fine art. And uh, she ended up uh, going into movies... And uh, George Raft, who she was hired to support in the 1932 film Night After Night Complained, she stole everything but the cameras. I think they mean she stole the scenes. Not that she literally walked out with pieces of set. (laughs) And she was uh, offered the part of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, but turned it down. Famously said, when I'm good, I'm very, very good, but when I'm bad, I'm better. And she coined the immortal phrase, is there a gun in your pocket? Or are you just glad to see me? Um... We found some other amazing rebels, but my favourite was the one that Karen, not the white woman calling the manager currently, but Karen Hawkins, the award-winning reporter and editor, uh, who's here on stage with me, told us about... This is her favourite Chicago rebel. Karen, pictures your favourite Chicago rebel. I'm sure you can guess who it is. A road was just renamed for her. Snaps Ida B. Wells. I mean, I am a black woman journalist, so of course I grew up loving Ida B. Wells. If you don't know who she is, she was a black woman born into slavery. In the 1890s, she wrote stories that described lynching in the South, and people really credit her for getting black folks in the South to move northward to cities like Chicago um, by saying, lynching, not cool, we don't like that. Guess what? You don't have to live here anymore. And so millions, of course, of African Americans move from the American South to the American North over this span of time, including my mother, as we talked about. Um, hi, Jesse Mary. And my mother actually was sent to Chicago at age 13 by herself, by my grandmother, because she was getting too mouthy for Shelfield, Alabama. And it's not really that hard to do in the 1960s. I'm just kind of spoiler alert. Um, and... What she had gotten mouthy about is that she had gotten to the library and she wanted to check out too many books and so they told her she needed a white person to like co-sign on her checking out books at the library. Don't you love this story, right? Like, my mom got sat north for checking out books at the library. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Um, She didn't set anything on fire um, that I know of. Um, And so my grandmother was just like, enough with you. Go live with your Aunt Perlene. Her name's Perlene um, in Chicago, and, and that's why I'm here. I'm so grateful to be born here. I love the shout-out for the Chicago Reader when she said Chicago Reader, and y'all were like, woo! It's like, these are my people, so thank you for supporting me. And why is Rebellious Magazine called Rebellious Magazine? Because you founded it. I did. Uh, eight years ago... I know, if you can imagine a feminist magazine being founded eight years ago. <laughs> R.I.P. how happy we were. Um, <laughs> uh, so, quick story. I named Rebellious Magazine after my boss. I was working the Associated Press at the time. I was a reporter. I had terrible shifts. 
I was working nights and weekends all the time. Been there six years. I asked for what my boss considered too many. This is a theme, too many. Weekends off in a row. And let me just tell you what I was trying to do, y'all. I was going, trying to go to see my grandparents in Alabama, trying to go to the Pride Parade. Mm. And I was, ta- come on now. And I was taking two weekends for my birthday. And he calls me. I'm working on my Saturday shift. He's making the schedule. He calls me and he says, you've asked for four Saturdays off. I was like, uh-huh, you can count. That's great. And <laughs> we're doing journalists. Not good at math. I'm proud of you. And he said, you know, I just really, you own Saturdays, Karen. And I just... He, you he said, own Saturdays, he Karen? He put it in my performance appraisal that I own Saturdays and I just didn't yeah. seem happy about it. I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says, I own Saturdays. (laughs) I own Saturdays. I do know because I'm off, but... So he said, you know, I just feel like you're being rebellious and you're testing me. What? Rebellious? At work! He said that to a young black woman at work. And I was like, I have to get out of here. Was there a question? No. No, Did, so the I question from the audience I was, love that energy. you sue? <laughs> I love that. I it was funny because someone at the theater said, that. will you get heckless tonight? And if so, how would you like to deal with them? And I was like, uh, no, someone might shout, how can we help? Uh, that's the most common thing. Or where do we sign? How do we get involved? That happens a lot. So uh, this is a new one. Did you sue? And we're going to add that into the canon. Did you sue, Karen? I did not... I named a magazine Rebellious after I left there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like... Yeah. It's Kima Bob again. Don't get mad. Get material. Don't get mad. Create a magazine. Correct. That story is almost like comparable to what your mom... It's like you're not asking for much. It's like you're asking for the library book. You're asking... It's not your fault your birthday's during Pride Month. Like... You know what I mean? But also, like, it, Saturday is a reasonable day to have off. It's completely reasonable. You, you weren't saying, actually, I'm just not coming in on Monday morning. But you should be I, off Saturday. If I took Saturday, then one of my old white men colleagues would have to come in. Oh, no. No, and well, we can't, we're not going to have that. No, no, they have things to do. They have, they have golf to golf. <laughs> There's... They have cars to car. I don't know. What do they have white men do? Baseball to baseball. I don't know what they do. They do things that... I don't know. I don't really mind. So you basically said, I'm going to get out. He actually called you rebellious. He did, luckily, on the phone, which is why I'm not telling this story from prison. Uh, (laughs) Paul Newman used to say, this is exactly why I don't own a gun. I really... It was this moment of... Yeah, it was a life... It was a game changer for me. So yeah, he called me rebellious, said I was testing him. I did not get all the Saturdays off. I left less than a year later. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think you did amazingly well to last nearly a year later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazingly well. It's hard out here for a journalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you started rebellious, what was the mission for them? So in 2012, March of 2012, we launched on March 8th, which is International Women's Day, of course. And at that time, we had the luxury of feminism and rebellion being about personal rebellion, right? Mm. It wasn't necessarily political rebellion, so I had the luxury of making a magazine about personal essays from women. The first month we had essays about what makes you rebellious. And we had all these wonderful essays from women, a lot of whom had never been published. And my goal was to create a platform for women to get published that was the opposite of the AP, which is so gatekeepery, and so people were constantly asking me how I got my job, and I was just like, I don't know. I still don't know. But I felt like I wanted to create a place where women could get published and that they could link to in their portfolios and that they could tell their stories in their own ways. Wow. What a lovely thing. And an important thing. And a dynamic thing. And it's still going. It is still going. And you have uh, a finger in that pie, but also you are now co editor and chief of the Chicago Reader. Can you tell us about the Chicago Reader? I love the Reader. I grew up with the Reader. Did somebody... What was that? I heard Yas Queen. (laughs) Don't mind if I do. Uh, (laughs) Chicago Reader, Alt Weekly, founded in 1971. Long story short, we're on the brink of collapse. 15 months ago, we were bought by new owners. We have new leadership. I got hired 15 months ago, and we are going strong, and we are about to become a nonprofit. We can take donations. 
Um, and the Reader's always been known for long-form journalism, investigative journalism, amazing cultural coverage. There was a point in time when the Chicago Reader, I want to shout out if you remember these days, was 300 pages every week. What? In four sections. Wow. It was this behemoth Like a phone, phone book. book. It That's really crazy. was. Every single week. Wow. And now we're at 40 pages. Mm. Every week. But 40 great pages. 40 amazing pages, thank you. Yes. Why do you think we need strong journalism at this time in history? How long do we have? <laughs> we have 300 pages. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, so many reasons. An informed populace is the backbone of democracy. That's my best answer. We are living through what happens when people don't have good information. So, that's my answer. How do we battle through the fake news, but also battle against the idea that the current administration calls anything it doesn't like, any fact it doesn't like fake news? What can our role be? Because you're a journalist with integrity, you're working for a very famous an established publication with integrity. What can we do if we're not... Journalism isn't our full-time job, but we all now have Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts. So in some ways, we're all journalists. I'm going to start with an absolutely shameless plug. (laughs) If you love it, support it. We have gotten too used to journalism being free, Mm -hmm. and journalism is a public utility. Mm. If you care about it, if you love it, if information is important to you, then you have to pay for it. We have to get to a place where people vote with their wallets, especially when it comes to media. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, if you know you're going to Thanksgiving and your crazy Uncle Ben is going to say what he always says, come ready, (laughs) y'all. Just come ready. There are so many resources. Google Media Literacy, Google Informed Democracy. There are so many resources available now for all of us to counter fake news and the crazy people in our lives who say absolutely crazy things. I really think we can all be advocates for ourselves and for other people, obviously, but just for, for news, for information, for the truth. I think you don't have to sit, you can be rebellious and you don't have to sit and listen to folks anymore that you can, you can be a journalist in your own lives all the time. We did an episode with The Guardian who are not owned by shareholders and we had a hashtag for a while we have to pay for a free press because I feel like that is what we have forgotten. For the press to be free, they have to be paid and we've gotten so used to everything, all of our online content being accessible but who's going to pay these journalists? There were a couple of stories that The Guardian had done, one about Windrush Uh, which I don't know how much you heard about that here, but basically our government was starting to deport people who had been in Britain all their lives uh, because the government wanted to get their numbers up. And the other thing that they did was uncover Cambridge Analytica. But she was like... Catherine Viner, who's the editor, said, if we don't pay journalists to work on these things for sometimes 18 months to two years, otherwise we're just going to be reduced to BuzzFeed. What kind of stories are you proud of that uh, Rebellious Magazine and Chicago Reader have done? Chicago Reader, I mean, what we are known for historically, of course, is our coverage of police brutality. Um, We had a reporter named John Conroy who uncovered these officers on the south side of Chicago, John Burge, uh, being their commander, who were torturing suspects, young black men on the south and west sides, literally torturing them. Like, Burge had been in Vietnam and had learned all these torture techniques and was pulling black men off the street and torturing them into confessing to crimes. For decades, this went on. And John Conroy, for the reporter, who was a reporter for the Chicago Reader, uncovered all of these stories and was dogged and covered them at a time when people didn't really care. Mm -hmm. And I picked up some of this coverage. So John Burge eventually did go to trial for perjury for lying during a deposition. It's heartbreaking. And he got convicted. He served like, I don't know, two and a half years in federal prison. Um, what? Yeah, no. See, I'm a feminist, but execute that person. <laughs> I mean, like, literally, like, no, sorry. So I will just tell you, when I was covering the, the guilty first does, stories, not, does not stand by the death penalty. Just continue. 
when we're married, this is going to have to be a discussion. I'm obsessed. Does your therapist do couples counseling? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you do can. you want to be? Can we be? A we're thruple? doing a thruple. We're doing a thruple. I think it would be fun. Yeah. I, I, I do too. Yeah, I'm into it. Sorry, go on with the important story. This is distracted <laughs> now. I really wow. Um, my partner Samantha's going to be so excited about this. Um, <laughs> So it's a fourpool. Sorry. <laughs> is there a wor- is there a word for that? A fourpool? Anything's possible. Anything's it's possible. 2020. Yeah. It's 2020. And what do two and two make? Four. <laughs> <laughs> this is taking a turn. Um, <laughs> I would like to see the manager. on Top Gear either. Can we talk about that? There are no um, women on Top Gear. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the only BBC shows I used to watch regularly and there are no, never any women on no, it. No woman wants to go on Top Gear. It's, it's, it's like saying, oh, no, no woman has touched that dirty men's underwear in the corner of the bedroom. They don't let any women touch it. It's like, we don't want to touch it. We don't. We are not queuing up to touch that. We don't. We're not interested in it. I was asked to be the star in the reasonable price car. I said no. I was not asked. But had I been asked, I would have said, I'm busy. I'm busy washing Karen's hair. Um, you. you were telling a blue dry bar story earlier that you went to the dry bar. I was telling that I'm story. I'm sorry to out you as being okay, at the dry bar. Okay, so I but... went and they didn't have time to wash it. So this really lovely lady just said, just trust me, I'll do it from dry. And I did this for you, Chicago, because I wanted to have pretty hair on the stage. And she made it like Shirley Temple. And honestly, in Corkscrews, and I was like, I'm going to have to be like, it's the good ship, lollipop, it's a sweet trip to the candy shop, but there we are. And uh, happy landing on a chocolate bar. But, but she said, trust me and stay with me. And then she said, flip your head forward, sprayed it with something that was probably not good for the environment, then flip it back, and then she did a brush out, and she said, see, now you look like a rock chick. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Is that what's happened, or does it just look like I've just got out of bed? No, it's very rock. Isn't that the same, same difference? Thank you. Yes. I was um, marveling, though, that I've, I walked into a dry bar. I feel like they'd be like... Where do you Karen is making the face that she feels that the dry bar would make if she walked in with her dreadlocks, if you're listening at home. And that that face is a retreating face. (laughs) Um, Clearly, the Chicago Reader has changed policy and brought stories to light. Rebellious Magazine. Rebellious Magazine. So we have also shifted gears. So we still have personal essays. We have a lot of sex coverage right now which I'm super into. I love it. I have columnists writing about sex in this way that makes me feel all of my years of age because they write these things and I have to Google them. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. Every what, so people contribute time? stories about sex and you don't understand what the, the acronyms are? Wait, such as? We need to know I'm more. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I just want to know. Okay, no. It's fine. We can talk in the green room. Yeah, we'll talk after. I'll... Pull it up no, on the well, phone. Well, it's in the magazine. It. We can look. That's true. But seriously, just tell us something. Anything by Jarrah Brown on the website right now, I have had to Google something in there. Wow. And I'll just let you all guess. It's like a J-E-R-A Brown. JarrahBrown.com. So get your Urban Dictionary and your Google ready. <laughs> then go and look up Rebellious Magazine, Jarrah Brown. Yes. And you will learn. It will be an education. Correct. Can you tell me one thing you've learned from Jerry Brown about sex in 2020? I just want to say her column is named Just the Tip. <laughs> it is. That is a fact. It's cute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was a little illustration with yeah. it. Um, I'm not kidding. I'm, her first columns have illustrations. Um, I will admit that I'm an old school like, first-generation L-word lesbian, and... <laughs> not the reboot! Not the not reboot. The reboot. No. First-generation L-word lesbian. L-word lesbian. And I, I'm embarrassed that this is a vulnerable moment for me. I, had, I didn't really know what polyamory was. Mm. And she would write about it so matter-of-factly. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like people really like about it, is that yeah. it's not this, like, 
hey, everybody, guess what? It's just this very matter-of-fact, like, Mm -hmm. how to tell your partner you want to have a three-way, how to open up your relationship, all these things. And I was just like, I don't... But but, and Tina didn't do that. (laughs) It is a lot more common now. And I was talking to someone today who was in a polyamorous relationship, and he said, look, the world's on fire. We just need to, you know, you need to live in the moment to some extent because what if we don't have that much time left and then we didn't have a three-way? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he was saying to me. And I was like, I know what you mean. We also need to be also maybe putting the fire out <laughs> while we're having the three-way. But I see what I he means. I love that as a campaign for Polly, though. Like that's you, good. That's good. <laughs> the world's on fire. Be we don't know how long we have. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, I do know what he means. And it always happens like this. Like... I had this book called What Did You Do in the War Mummy? And it was all of these first-person accounts of what women had done in the Second World War. And we nicknamed that book Who Did You Do in the War Mummy? (laughs) Because it was basically about how everyone was down in an air raid shelter just going, I might never see you again. We might get bombed tonight. You're going to war. Just the tip. (laughs) Monogamy is a luxury we can't afford right now. No. And also, I think there is something in the sort of inspiration that sometimes sex gives you. It makes you feel alive in a way that maybe you can then use that in your activism. Am I stretching him? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on the journey. You've got my hair and Shirley Temple curls, but I am with you on the journey, figuratively speaking. It's the good. I don't... Do you know what I mean by that, though? The sort of fire within you. Mm-hmm. Gloria Steinem said, if you want there to be joy and laughter and dancing and music and sex, after the revolution, you have to have joy and laughter and dance and music and sex through the revolution. I may be paraphrasing Gloria Steinem. I almost certainly am. But that was the essence of it, and she definitely said sex. <laughs> and I know what she means. Like, it's... I think we're just on our phones all the time and it's easy to die. Do you know what I mean? A little inside. And I think we do need to find those extra connections. Yes. Agreed. The phones are sexless. Just scrolling, sexless. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's true. And porn is sexless in a weird way. Yeah. It removes the connection. You're watching two people or more, I believe, in some porn videos. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not really having a connection. They're performatively connecting. And so you're not connected with them and they're not connecting with each other in many cases. The more we can do for connection and the more we can come together to rebel. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We will support Rebellious magazine. Uh, We will support... People are clicking if you're listening at home. And that means they like it. Uh, And we must support the Chicago Reader. Absolutely. Are there places on the websites we can contribute to those? Yes, chicagoreader.com slash donate... Ooh, my boss is going to kill me for not knowing that. And Rebellious Magazine, there is a banner at the very top, rebelliousmagazine.com, and it says, we believe in you. It, it's to get your money. <laughs> well, you know what? I really want to contribute to both those things, and wherever we are in the world now, we can read these publications. So wherever you are in the world, uh, please plug into these publications. Uh, plug into Karen Hawkins. Uh, she is a, a phenomenal woman. And if you don't, I'm calling the manager. <laughs> you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis, my guest co-host, Sophia Cleary, and our very special guest, Karen Hawkins. The recording engineer was Ray Taxon. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Solinsky from the Spontanator Shop. Thanks to Tim Shane, Tom Braxton, Brad Davis, and everyone at Talia Hall, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfabulous.com. Thank you so much, guys. You have been a wonderful audience. You've been one of the finest audiences of your generation. Uh, I've been Deborah Francis White. We've been the Guilty Feminist. You've been really wonderful. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. world leader that we could all get behind because in 2015 he was asked why was his cabinet half female he said because it's 2015 Mm -hmm. and we all loved him but then there's been some wobbles (laughs) 
to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> when the picture of Justin Trudeau in blackface came out, which one? Well, that was that was the worst part. That. He, when he was asked how many more pictures like this might com- come out, he said, I've no way of knowing. Oh. Apparently, it was his default party dress-up. Oh, yes. my God. So if Justin Trudeau tries to come to the Guilty Feminist, he will have to buy a ticket. <laughs> not, he's not on my guest list. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And there's a high chance I'm going to Toronto. It's good to set that boundary with Justin. Set... <laughs> That it set that boundary. It's set as that if, boundary. It's as if he's in a studio apartment across the hall. <laughs> a huge thank you to our amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Sarah Brown, John Quakoy, Sarah Boom, and Ruby Rose Thompson.